Okay, the market's melting down. Let's take a look at Charles Schwab, a giant asset management company. We're gonna run it through its paces, look at a forecast, and I'm gonna reveal to you a critical flaw in their balance sheet, which could jeopardize the very existence of this company. The stock is down right now. Is it a buy or is it gonna to continue to fall? Ready, let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thanks for watching, I greatly appreciate it. This week, what we're gonna do is we're gonna dive into Charles Schwab. And we're gonna review this with the bank financial model that I've used and I've released it on my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. In this forecast, we are gonna take a deep dive into the assets, the income, to figure out what this business truly generates. The stock is down significantly in the last week or so as the bank crisis absolutely melts all companies that have long dated investments in this held to maturity bucket on their balance sheet. And as I promised, I'm gonna reveal during this video a hidden danger inside Charles Schwab's balance sheet, which could jeopardize the very existence of the company. Let's dive into the financials and start figuring out how we take a look at Charles Schwab. So as we do with all of our stocks, I'm gonna pull up our bank financial model, which you can get on my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, and we're gonna look through how do we value this company, Charles Schwab. Now, what is Charles Schwab? Charles Schwab is a brokerage account uh, company. Uh, it owns and holds assets for clients and lets them trade and make investments in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, but they're an asset management company on a brokerage firm, primarily. They also, acquired TD Ameritrade in 2020, and you'll see a giant spike in their assets under management and earnings as they close that absolute massive acquisition. So let's take a look at historical data, which is what we use to underpin an analysis of the margins of the business, the trends of the business, and it helps us forecast that going forward. And we look at total assets for Charles Schwab and go back to 2014. They had $154 billion of assets under management. Everything shown here is in dollars and millions. And that has grown significantly prior to the acquisition of TD Ameritrade. 154 billion 2014, 183 billion, 223 billion, 243, 296, and then 294, 294 billion dollars of assets, total assets. Uh, in 2019 prior to the acquisition of TD Ameritrade. They then closed that acquisition and assets, total assets spikes to $549 billion and it continued to grow in 2021 to $667 billion. Came down a little bit in 2022. The market pulled back so they're an asset manager. Their assets that they're managing would also deflate in value and it came down to $551 billion of total assets. Now, the way you value a bank or an asset manager is book value. Uh, that's one of the messages. We're gonna look at another one in a second. But to get book value, start with total assets and you have to subtract off a couple of things. Number one, goodwill and intangibles. That's basically $1.4 billion um, of goodwill and intangible up until the time they made the $22 billion acquisition of TD Ameritrade. And you can see the goodwill and intangibles jumps by approximately 20 billion. Now that's very interesting. If the purchase price of TD Ameritrade was 22 billion, which I think I read, that would mean that most all of the acquisition price was in fact goodwill uh, that was paid to the, uh, to the sellers of TD Ameritrade. But nevertheless, now that, that balance is about 20 million going forward. Uh, Charles Schwab has both long-term debt and it has uh, preferred stock in it. So we wanna subtract out 
the long-term debt and the total liabilities and the preferred stock is we are common equity owners. We are behind the preferred stock in the cap table. So they have $143 billion of preferred stock and total liabilities, and that grew to $275 billion prior to the acquisition. Then the acquisition spiked to $500 billion of total liabilities and preferred stock. Last year, ending $524 billion. You net these two just to kind of move along here, and you get a book value, rather thin book value, a book value of $9 billion, $9.5 billion in 2014, which grew nicely all the way up into through the uh, acquisition of uh, TD Ameritrade. So 9.4, 10.5, 12.2, 14.3, 16.5, and $17.6 billion of book value. So at the acquisition time, they had $17.6 billion of, net, of book value. They then acquire um, uh, TD Ameritrade. That spikes given the asset liability mix of TD Ameritrade, and they get uh, $26 billion of book value. But then that declines to 24 during the pandemic. And the most recent filing, as of December of 2022, this past December, $6 billion of uh, book value. So the current book value of, of Charles Schwab is less than any point in the last decade. Uh, I think that's a very interesting statistic. Even after they made the acquisition, that $6.2 billion of book value is actually less than the 9.4 it was in 2014. Uh, so very interesting inflection point, and we're going to dig deeper in here and a little bit into that book value to see what's there. But nevertheless, let's keep going. Uh, book value per share. If I put this on a on a, on a shares basis, basically seven to nine, to seven, excuse me, seven to thirteen before the acquisition. Once they acquired TD Ameritrade, it spiked to eighteen, and it's come down. It's currently trading at about three dollars and twenty-five cents per share. The market cap of Charles Schwab has also moved in similar, similar fashion. $40 billion of market cap. This is average shares outstanding times price. In 2014, it's $40 billion. And that grew to $76 billion around the time of the acquisition. It spikes to $160 billion post-acquisition, kind of pandemic range. And it's currently, or at least it was prior to this recent decline. So as of December last year, $157 billion of market cap. And this is where it gets interesting. The current market cap of Charles Schwab is $100 billion. So that's a 50, that's, excuse me, it's a $50 billion decrease in the book, in the market cap of the company only in a matter of a couple of days because the market is absolutely freaking out about some of the assets that uh, investment managers and banks have on their balance sheet to figure out are these companies solvent or not. Then if I take all this and I divide book value by, uh, excuse me, price by book value, I get price per book value, and you get a ratio here of about three, three and a half times price to book value. And that's saying you're paying three and a half times or 350% of book value for this business on average over the last decade. It's currently sitting at 25 times, which is an absolute spike. That's because book value has been absolutely crushed, and the market price, at least as of December here, had not been, uh, had not dropped. It's now dropped $50 billion. So that uh, that price book ratio is coming back down. But if you were to price it at three times, it would be dramatically cheaper as a stock. Okay, so we covered book value. It looks like the book value stated on their balance sheet as of December uh, was about $6 billion. Very, very low. We're going to dive into a little bit about what's in that number. But I want to cover the income statement uh, next and just to see how much earnings revenue they actually make, make what kind of margin 
they get. So they're getting about $6 billion of total revenue in 2014. And that grew very nicely, 6.3 billion, 7.5 billion, 8.6 billion by 2017. It continued to grow to 10.1, 10.7. Then they made the acquisition and went to 11.7, 18.5 and 20.7, almost $20.8 billion of top line revenue. That's an average annual growth of 17%. Now that includes a monster acquisition in the middle of that. But even if I look at it prior to that, uh, excluding the acquisition, it's still a, a decent double-digit number every single year on average. Kudos to them. And we're going to dig into how they make their revenue in a little bit to understand a bit more there, but it's a very nice uh, growth rate. What I also like is they've been able to grow net income at 23%, commensurate with the income, actually a little bit higher than the income over time. So they're making $1.3 billion of net income in 2014, and that's a 22% net income margin. That has also grown 20 to 1 1.5, 1.9, 2.4, 3.5, 3.7 billion dollars in 2019 prior to the acquisition. Then 3.2, a little dip. Then 5.8 billion after you consolidate the acquisition. And most recently 7.1, 7.2, something like that, billion dollars of net income at a 35% net income margin. You look at these margins, they've gone from 22% uh, to 35% over this time. And we're going to dig into why in here in a second. Shares outstanding are roughly flat. But prior to the acquisition, they were really not buying back shares. This company's using its free cash to go buy other asset management companies and brokerage houses to go grow their AUM, which would grow fees and grow earnings over time. That's what they're doing with their income. They are not buying back shares. It's something we would like them to do, but they're just not doing it. They did issue a lot of shares. You can see they had to pay for the acquisition of, uh, of TD Ameritrade by issuing about, what's that, 300 million shares. Earnings per share were basically a dollar uh, in 2014 and has grown to call it $2.30 uh, prior to the acquisition and then post-acquisition about mid $3 uh, earnings per share. On a yield basis, you're looking at about a 45 to 5% earnings uh, yield on these, on these stocks. All right, let's dive into how they derive their revenue and how do we forecast this business once we understand how they get their revenue. Okay, how do they get their revenue? This is going to be the fiscal year ending numbers. All banks, uh, asset managers, right, they get interest, they get money based on lending and borrowing and the difference. It's called the net interest margin. I've got the net interest here in this column. And it's most of the revenue that Charles Schwab gets is the net interest, the, the difference between what they pay you for the cash that sits in the brokerage account that's uninvested and what they're able to earn by taking that cash and lending it out to uh, um, on margin loans, uh, on buying other assets that pay a dividend to Charles Schwab. That spread between what they pay you for having cash in their brokerage account and what they receive by making investments from your cash is the net interest uh, margin or net interest uh, that they that they get. And you can see 2014. That was $2.3 billion, and that's grown to $10.7 billion in 2022. It's an absolute monster growth, 
buoyed by the acquisition of TD Ameritrade. You, you know, it moved to about $8 billion up from six. So you got a $2 billion lift there with the acquisition. But nevertheless, it was a steady double-digit annual growth rate over this nine-year period of time prior to the acquisition, uh, which bodes very well. And I, I even went back and looked at the, uh, many decades of uh, Charles Schwab's uh, 10Ks, you can find them on their, um, well, the website only goes back about 10 years. To get to the 08 financial crisis and prior, you have to go to the SEC's website, the SEC company search website, punch in ticker for Charles Schwab, and go through the annual reports. And you can go back to 2008 and see what happened to this business during that meltdown period. I think it's a huge lesson that people need to check out um, what, what happened to this business at that time. The next way they get their money is assets under management. So they charge fees if you want them to manage your business, manage the money for you. And their fees that they got in 2014 were $2.5 billion. And that's grown to $4.2 billion the last couple years, um, uh, doubling over this period of time. The next thing is trading fees. And you can see the spike here when they bought TD Ameritrade. It, it almost... Uh, what the 8x, 800% growth in trading volume because they went from Charles Schwab to Ameri uh, TD Ameritrade, which owns Scott Trade as well. And all of those trading, those companies were primarily stock trading companies. So you can see their fees jumped. But basically, they had $900 million of trading fees in 2014. And that was really flat. It was 900, even down to 650, 600. It was declining by 20, uh, 2019 prior to the acquisition. And then post-acquisition from 617 million, it goes to 1.4 billion. Then it goes 4.1 billion the next year. That's 400%, that's a 350% increase in one year. And then 3.6, 3.7 billion. Uh, this is the trading euphoria that we experienced in the pandemic as people were buying options, flipping stock like they're, like they're just pieces of paper. And that's not at all the case. A stock is ownership in a business. And if you're going to buy it, you better know what that business does and you want to own that business for many, many years because the stock market is an irrational voting machine. It has nothing to do with reality on the ground. And this is rational investing and we want to try to put a, a framework on what we're seeing in the market and hopefully distill uh, what is euphoria from hard facts and weigh the cash flows of a business, weigh the, the value that's there and see if it's mispriced. So that's trading fees. Others, other fees have, have grown over time, which are primarily banking deposit fees. Uh, total revenue has come up, and you, we already covered this, but mainly, mainly this revenue is net interest margin at $10.6 billion out of the $20 billion. So about 50% of their revenue comes from net interest margin. Again, that's the lending versus borrow, excuse me, earning. So they're paying you for cash in your brokerage account that's not invested versus what they can take that cash on and lend it out either on a margin loan to someone or invest it in securities to pay them, securities bonds to pay them some money. The next thing we want to look at is assets under management. So assets under management for this firm was $2.38 trillion in 2014. That grew to 2 .5, 2 .6, 3, 3 .4, 3 .6, 4 .5, 7.5, 3.4, 3.6, 4.5, 7.5, 7.3 trillion dollars. That is a steady march north. I've put the annual uh, changes next to here. So 6%, 7, 7, uh, 6%, 3%, 17, 11, 8, 
2464. Those are all positive, strong numbers as they grow their assets year over year. That's fantastic. This big step up here is from the TD Ameritrade, obviously, but prior to that, they were able to grow their assets or management through a combination of more customer deposits and the growth of assets already under management. Uh, for their individual clients, also acquisition. So great job to the team to bring in uh, new customers, having new customers transfer new balances over to Charles Schwab, and the management team itself, just being able to manage assets prudently and effectively to grow those assets over time has allowed them to have greater uh, AUM assets under management to then translate to higher fees and net interest margin, greater trader fees, greater assets or management fees. Good job, team. Now we come to present day where the stock market has come down a lot and you'll see this most recent turn, assets under management fell 3%. And I expect this to fall again next year as, as assets are pared down, as uh, bonds or other interest rate sensitive assets are marked to market appropriately and, and the losses are realized. Uh, we're forecasting a slight decline in the, in, in the investment. I did go back to 2008 and looked at that financial crisis and how that impacted the total assets under management and interest uh, fees and revenue for Charles Schwab. Very interestingly, AUM was very flat. It did not fall substantially. Uh, even looking at the, the absolute meltdown that was last year in the stock market, their AUM only fell 3%. So it's really interesting that the, the, the sensitivity of their assets under management does not seem to be all in the stock market. They probably have a lot of cash and a lot of bond portfolio. So that's reduced the volatility a little bit of that asset. So even if we expect them to go down or the market to fall next year, perhaps it's not going to fall as much as the stock market, hence a 5% drop and not a more massive correction uh, that might happen if the economy weakens. The last thing I want to do is I want to take their revenue that they get and I want to derive it as a percentage of total assets from management. And you can see I've got net interest as a percent of total asset. I've got the management fee as a percent of total asset. And I have trading as a percent of total asset. Now that is a rough measure. If you're doing this yourself, I suggest you go into the detail and you break out how much assets they have that are traded, uh, how much assets are in the asset management accounts, and then how much uh, and, then, and then how much is related to the net interest margin. But for, for this show, I took the one number of assets under management and I applied it against those revenues to give up uh, to get an estimate of what those what the percent fees are based on total assets under management. We're going to grow assets under management as we forecast. So a five percent drop next year, and then a five percent gain going forward. This is less than the about nine percent or so they were experiencing prior to the acquisition of TD Ameritrade. Right? You can't you can't always bet on another acquisition to maintain double digit growth. So putting aside big acquisitions, what are they naturally growing? Uh, slightly less than double digit. Okay, I'm gonna haircut that to be conservative a bit. I'll call it a 5% growth going forward because who knows what's gonna go on in the future. And what that does is it produces assets or management of just over $10 trillion out 10 years from now. And I can break that down into its different buckets. You've got your net interest margin of 11. I drop it here because I think that uh, with interest rate changing, uh, I'm not sure they're going to be able to generate as much uh, earnings here. But the rest of them will fluctuate with assets and management. And I've got a long-term revenue forecast for this business of just shy of $30 billion. All right, now that we have an estimate of what we think revenue is going to do that we build up from an assets under management level, 
we could apply a margin to this and, and look at how much earnings they're going to make on a per share basis. And that's basically what I've done. I took the revenue that I expect them to generate that's based on an assets under management style of, of company. And that asset under management is slowly ticking higher as those, manage, those assets themselves grow and perhaps Charles Schwab is able to get other customers to deposit assets. I, I use a margin, a net income margin that we've experienced previously. I showed you it's grown from 20 to, 4, to 35%. And I divide it by shares and I get $2.73 as a forecast next year's earnings, which is a drop of 5% year over year as I kind of adjust for what I think is going to be a little bit of a dicier uh, 2023. That then grows to a long-term target. Who knows? Uh, how it happens, where it could be up several years, down several years, up more than 5%, down more than 5%. I don't know, but over the long term, I want to try to target somewhere around $4.25. If that happens, the $4.24, at a 3.5% uh, yield, I get $121 of a long-term forecast for this stock. Now, we can do the same thing for book value. If I look at book value prior to this recent decline, I'm going to skip this most recent year because it's such an anomaly. I want to look at book value last year and assume that over the long term, whatever fluctuations we're having, it's going to ride itself out. So I've backed up a year on book value and I said they had $23 billion of book value that I'm going to drop uh, by 5%. So next year is $23.7 billion, which is 5% less than the prior year. I've got $24.9 billion as I grow that 5%. As the assets under management grows at 5%, they will be able to maintain operating margin. That net income will follow them and will grow book value over time. That's the idea. And it's going to target a book value of $36.8 billion out uh, 10 years from now. I'll apply a four times market multiple to this. This is a price to book ratio uh, consistent with what we saw in prior prior periods, right? 4.2, 4.1, 4.3, 4.8, 3.4, Prior to the acquisition of TD Ameritrade, it was in that uh, four range. So I'm going to peg it at even four. That gives me $147 billion of market cap for this stock out 10 years from now. I'm assuming no share repurchase, right? We're going to dividend all the cash out as, a, as an assumption. So we'll leave shares constant and I get $77.74 price target for uh, Charles Schwab out 10 years from now. Okay, now the big reveal. Right? Let's check, take a look and figure out what the stock price is currently. Currently, it's 56 bucks. I've got two different price estimates. One, a net income uh, kind of yield, and another one is a price to book ratio. I get wildly different results. Net income, I've got $121. Book value, I've got $77 as a forecast. Uh, for, so I can average it for roughly 100 bucks a share out 10 years from now, growing at essentially 5% per year AUM. If you can do that, maintain margins, you should get $100 out 10 years from now. So if you're buying a stock and you're buying a company, you are a, 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 an owner in the company, it's not a dot on the screen that you want to trade, drawing lines on the, on the screen is absolutely useless. Uh, that is the worst exercise I've ever seen when people do it. 
uh, you buy a stock, you're going to own it for several decades. And you buy it because you love the management team, you love the business model, you think it's competitive, and it's going to last for a long, long time, it can defend itself, it's got moats. There's a whole host of reasons to buy a business because you want to be a owner of a business. But instead of starting your own business and having the time commitment, you buy a stock to participate in A, the liquidity that public stocks provide to you, and B, the professional management teams that you get as a result of buying public stocks. That's why people buy stocks. It is not, should not be, to trade it. So in this model that we're using, we're gonna be a buyer and owner of that business. You're gonna buy that stock for $56. You're gonna own it for a long, long time. You're gonna get a pro rata share of earnings over time that we've assumed to be dividend to you. They could buy back shares, they could dividend, they could go make other acquisitions, or they could hold the cash on the balance sheet. Either way, we're indifferent, or either way, that should be a higher value add than what we're forecasting, which is just dividend the stock back to us. I sell at $100 and I'm estimating a 12% IRR. That means if this math exercise behind me, which is an estimate, by the way, seek your own financial advice, go to Charles Schwab for advice. Um, this is just a math exercise. But behind me, it says, hey, I will make 12% annually on my money. If I bought the stock today at 56, I held it for a decade, I got this share of earnings, and I sold it at $99. Now, what you need to do is put your hat on and say, A, do I want to be a business owner? Do I want to own this company versus other companies? And then how sensitive is this model to changes in the economic landscape? And is it worth the risk? I'll put this on a distribution so you can see if you bought the stock today, 56 bucks, the expected return is 12% annually for the next decade. That's an annual IRR. Uh, if the stock goes up, less interested, right? As it, as it goes up, same forecast, earnings fall. If it, if it falls, if it gets back down to, not, not back down, but if it falls even further to 40 bucks, it becomes much more attractive on a risk return basis. Remember the stock market, which is the S&P 500 for all intents and purposes right now, will do 10% a year on average for any 10-year period of time that you're in the stock market. At least that's what the pundits say. You can go back and see if it's correct. But generally, if you take a 10-year period of time in the stock market and measure the beginning and the end, you get a 10% annual return. What we're trying to do is rational investors and say, okay, if that's buying the average, that's literally buying a little bit of 500 companies with a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of work, some prudent, rational thought, you should be able to beat that by not getting ahead of yourself and selling it short, but finding the right stocks that you think will outperform in the next decade and holding those for a long time. And currently in this instance, one of these assumptions, this is saying Charles Schwab should outperform the stock market by two extra percent every single year for the next decade if you bought it at $56 a share. All right, now what could go wrong with this stock? Like right now, this stock looks like a good investment and we'll give it a good investment, but there's a caveat. And it's what I want to teach you about the stock market and what's going on here and is the big reveal I promised earlier. Let's take a look at the balance sheet of Charles Schwab. Okay, the balance sheet of Charles Schwab. Now, most people don't go diving into the financials. I happen to read it. It's a passion of mine, so I might as well do a YouTube channel and just tell people my thoughts. That's kind of the, the genesis of this channel. I myself am a CFO by trade. That's my profession. This is a hobby of mine. I do it to try to educate people like yourself to hopefully will buy stock and hold it for a long time and not trade it. So let's review the categories. You've got cash and cash equivalent, cash investments, receivables, receivable from securities held for sale, 
uh, held maturity securities, bank loans, equipment, goodwill, intangibles, and other assets. All that makes up $551 billion of assets for Charles Schwab. And what I want to zoom in here and what is the market is currently fixated on with all the banks. In fact, as of this weekend, Credit Suisse uh, could be uh, could be no more. Uh, it is is rumored that it is for sale and be taken over by UBS for basically a billion dollars, which is an absolute uh, ridiculously low price. That stock should be nationalized by the Swiss, held and then sold off later on. But that's another story. Uh, it's all centering around this bucket, this held to maturity bucket. For Charles Schwab, they have $173 billion of investments. Now, remember I, t I told you earlier about the net interest margin, right? So you put it cash in the balance sheet of your brokerage account. You're not buying stock, you're just held in cash, fine. Well, Charles Schwab can take that cash and invest it. That's part of the brokerage agreement you sign when you go in there. And what they do is they make investments uh, on a whole host of different items to make a little bit of interest above what they pay you so they can make that net interest margin. And while they have uh, all kinds of assets invested in lots of different categories, one particularly is this held to maturity. That means that they don't have to mark the asset to market on their balance sheet. What does that mean? That means they can hold it at the original cost. Available sales securities, they have to be marked to market every time they follow, so file. So this dollar amount, the $147 billion, is the market price for these securities as of December 2022. The health to maturity bucket, this $173 billion is the market price for of the securities when they bought them originally. It is not the current market price. Now, who cares? So what? Normally, nobody cares. But recently, interest rate volatility has been so fast and so high that it is affecting fixed income investments. And most of those, in fact, all of them are fixed income investments. Let's take a look at the breakup. Okay, so what makes up the held to maturity securities? Well, here's Charles Schwab Corporation Financial Notes, Note 6. This is December 31st, 2022. You're going to see held to maturity securities right here. U.S. Mortgage-backed securities, MBSs. Remember those guys? That was the, uh, the collapse of the 2028 when people were synthetically creating these. Well, the OG of that, the original, the actual security, not the synthetic thing, is the mortgage-backed security, the MBS. And they have all of their money invested in those. That's $173 billion. Now, if you, if you read this a little bit further, you understand that this was included in the held-to-sale assets. They were, uh, they were always on the balance in one group. And then as interest rates spiked, they did not want to take that in, they, they did not want to take that loss of principal, so they moved it. They downgraded it into a different class on the balance sheet called held as maturity security. So then if they have $173 billion of these investments, these mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet, what are they worth today? Well, if they mark them to market, they would take a $15.6 billion loss. This unrealized uh, uh, loss is not reflected in the number in the asset statement. So if you mark them to market, they're only $158 billion. Uh, so the question is, if we mark that to market, what does it do to book value? 
Okay, so behind me is the book value. This is the great reveal of Charles Schwab. Remember, when we do book value, total assets minus, good, minus goodwill intangible, minus preferred stock, minus liabilities. That assumes that the total assets are of fair value that could be liquidated for that dollar amount, at least something close to it. It does not include the unrealized gain or loss. So let's do the math again. So $551 billion of total assets, less goodwill, less intangibles, less total liabilities, less preferred stock, less, now let's include less the $15 billion unrealized gain, which comes up to $561 billion. If I take assets minus liabilities to get tangible net worth, I get a negative $9.4 billion. That means that this book value here is not a positive nine, which is the standard calculation that does not take into account unrealized gain or loss. If I make that adjustment, then that real loss is $9.4 billion, which means if today all Charles Schwab customers said, I want to take my money out and move to another bank, Charles Schwab would go bankrupt. Okay, so given this revelation of a, of a negative book value, and if, if everybody were to ask for their money back, Charles Schwab would not be able to deliver, unfortunately. Uh, this is my read of the numbers. You tell me what you think. I went to the website and looked at their um, their investor relations page. And they have this announcement out there in a recent press releases. And it's talking about our approach to managing assets is quite different than traditional banks. They're trying to draw a distinction between a traditional bank and Charles Schwab. And the problem here is ultimately, if they have to liquidate the securities that are held to maturity, they would take a loss. And that loss would mean that they don't have cash, enough cash to give all the investors back their money in the brokerage accounts. And they say some, some ratios like, hey, as a reminder, our bank loans are approximately 10%, which is great. They're fully collateralized. All that's awesome. They said also, um, as a reminder, our assets are high quality. Nope, nope, nope. Here we go. They said also, focusing attention on unrealized losses within the HTM that's held to maturity has two logical flaws. First, those securities will mature at par, and given our significant access to sources of liquidity, there is very little chance that we need to sell them prior to maturity. Okay, that's fine, but so did Silicon Valley Bank until there was a run on the bank. When all the customers in Silicon Valley Bank said, hey, I need cash, the cash wasn't available, therefore they went bankrupt. That's the same thing here, and while they make an argument that we're, we don't need the cash because they're held to, to maturity, that's the same argument that Silicon Valley made. The problem with that argument is it works until it doesn't. And if you have your money in Charles Schwab, uh, these guys do not have enough cash to cover all the bank accounts. The last thought on their negative book value, what, what the reason Silicon Valley went under is they had the run on the bank, but then also banks have a charter that if, if their book value goes negative, they are officially bankrupt and the Fed steps in. Uh, Charles Schwab is not a bank. It is a, it is a company. It's an investment company. It's a slightly different. So they might be able to run with a negative book value because there is no current run of the bank. And as long as everybody does not ask for their money back, things are fine. It also allows Charles Schwab to go access other lines of capital to fill that void. I mean, a $15 billion number sounds like a very, very scary number, but they are a massive institution that makes $10 billion a year in profit. So it's not like they couldn't borrow the money to, to weather the storm. So I while on the one hand, technically, 
I think if everybody demanded their money, they would struggle. It would definitely hurt the stock. I think you need to weigh this in conjunction with the return estimate of a 12% IRR. For me, I think I would like to see the stock price come down more before I buy it. Even though it's expected to produce more than a market beating return, the negative book value for me is a little too much and I would like to see them shore up that a little bit more, uh, hopefully, uh, or have the stock price come down a bit more to compensate me for taking that risk. But this is a very interesting stock and another tale of what happens with the changing of interest rates and how that interest rate affects the bond. So that's been the review of Charles Schwab. Very interesting stock. So the stock price itself seems to be attractive. It could produce an outsized economic return on the investment subject to this unrealized loss, which is a factor of interest rates. If the Fed brings interest rates back down, that unrealized loss goes away and no harm has been done. If rates go up or continue up, that unrealized loss gets bigger and bigger and bigger and soon will become a problem. So I'll leave it up to you if you want to uh, make the investment. Definitely check out the stock, do your own research, uh, get your own financial advice. You can go to Charles Schwab for, for just for that advice. Uh, my name is Cameron Stewart. This is Rational Investing. If you like this type of analysis, check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com, or in the link below, you can get a free uh, one-pager on stocks that we review, or you can get access to this financial model that I sell on the website as well, and an investing course. Take a look, give me a like, throw a comment down below. Let me know what stock you'd like to see next. I'm happy to take recommendation. Thank you very much for watching. I appreciate it. Have a good day.